Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. You are listening to a podcast by Pastor Eric Seepin and Pastor Andy Littleton. If you enjoy Faith Over Breakfast, we encourage you to rate it on the Apple Podcast app, on Spotify, or Google Play. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. This is Faith Over Breakfast. My name's Eric and I'm all by myself. So I thought I'd talk to you a little bit about 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, and the idea of shame. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Eric Seepin, and I am the only guy at Faith Over Breakfast today. Andy Littleton, pastor of Mission Church, is not here, um, and I did not schedule another pastor to talk about anything, but I wanted to say, um, maybe offer, I guess, a little bit of a thank you to all of you who listen, who've found Faith Over Breakfast helpful, um, who've enjoyed it, who've encouraged us. It's meant a lot to me because I really enjoy um, talking to Andy. I enjoy talking about um, the different issues we talk about, and I just enjoy doing podcasts. It's one of the fun things of my job. Um, that I really get excited about doing, and I really enjoy it. Um, I do a couple other podcasts that I thought I'd just talk about for a second. If you don't know anything about them, you can look them up on iTunes, and uh, you can look them up on Spotify, and really, I think any of the different um, ways that you can listen to a podcast. But the first one is Healing the City, and that podcast is predominantly... um, about our church and our church's stories and sort of the value systems and how we think about things and different meditations. And it's really a way of discipling our community and letting others who aren't part of our community kind of peek in and see what we're about and gain some good things. Um, So I would encourage you, if you don't listen to Healing the City podcast or don't follow it, that you should do that. The other one is a little fun side job I do with a kid here at the village it's called dudes foods and sports and it's just a little podcast uh, that we do where we talk about food and sports and um, burping so it's uh, Zeke Bloom and uh, Zeke and I just have little 12 minute conversations about these things so if you want to just laugh and chuckle uh, because Zeke is pretty funny and he knows a lot about the UFC uh, and if you listen to it, and know nothing about the UFC, you'd be like, I have no idea what he's talking about, but it's still fun because he's pretty hilarious and he's getting more comfortable talking on the mic. And I think we have like 40 some odd episodes already. And July 28th is our one year anniversary for dudes, foods and sports. But anyway, this is faith over breakfast. And what I thought I would do uh, is maybe just offer you a little bit of a meditation, um, in the absence of Andy, and this meditation is on Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll look at probably verses 8, 9, and 10. Uh, but in particular, we'll look at verse uh, 10, most likely mostly just 10. But before we get there, I, I want to talk just a little bit about shame and what kind of, I don't know, what kind of got me thinking about this particular verse is I was listening to a podcast by Kurt Thompson, who wrote, wrote the book, um, The Soul of Shame, I think he wrote it in 2015, it was one of those life-changing books for me. In fact, it has a really interesting story, so I thought I'd I'd tell that story. I don't think I've told the story on Faith Over Breakfast, but um, 
a few years back. I don't know how far back it was pre pandemic. It seems like everything is in a blur, but, um, I think it was 2019, the Christmas of 2019. In fact, um, my parents, uh, gave each of their sons and their wives the book, the soul of shame. Um, I, at that point I had never heard of Kurt Thompson. Um, I wish I'd heard of him earlier and gotten to read the book earlier, but, uh, they gave us the book. They said it was a, a life changing book. And the fun part of it is that in each chapter, my parents put a hundred dollar bill. And so they handed us the soul of shame and inside the soul of shame was thousand dollars and one hundred dollar bills, uh, which was uh, uh, the most creative and most beautiful and most lovely gift. Um, and just, just the way my parents care for us both in our physical needs, but also in our spiritual needs and the way they really are intent and seeing us flourish is, is just touching to me and inspiring. And, and I want in many ways to be like my parents in that way. Um, for those people, for my kids, uh, for my wife and for my church. And this book is all about shame. And we talk a lot about shame in our church. And it, it's, uh, the thing is about shame is it's always there. Um, and it's always, it's always creeping up on us and it, it has a devastating effect. And what it does is it tends to want to steer our narratives and be in control of our own, of our identities. And even the early, um, writers of Genesis. And so, I mean, as Moses writes Genesis and as it's put together and orally told over and over again, one of the interesting things that they have to say to one another over and over again is at the end of chapter two, when, um, Eve is presented to Adam and he offers his, uh, his poetry of just, and, and what's beautiful in that poetry, by the way, let me just read it to you. So woman is presented to man and says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Uh, what's interesting there is Adam has to name her in order to name himself. If you understand what's happening in the Hebrew there. Um, but at the very end of that chapter, it says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And that's a really interesting uh, last little phrase before we jump into chapter three of Genesis because what's left in the story for us to kind of hold on to is that the most vulnerable position for these men and this man and this woman, nakedness and awe of one another. And we know that maybe probably the best, at least in my opinion, the best translation of, of you know, Eve being Adam's helper is that he, she is his sustainer and he is her provider. And so you have these two people in this beautiful dance who are created to care for one another and who are standing naked before each other. And there are, there's no shame, right? There's no experience of, um, uncomfortableness, a deep like sense of something is wrong there it's just good and rich and the vulnerability is free and it's not um it's got nothing inserted into it that would create 
a severe or mild discomfort or guilt or, um, as they say, no shame. And I, I think that's important to hold on to because when Eve or Adam and Eve end up um, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they are they become aware, it says, of their nakedness. I think that's that's important because all of a sudden, in their vulnerability, some kind of shame entered in in their disobedience. It says in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Genesis, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, God didn't, it wasn't that God didn't know where he was, but there is definitely this opportunity for um, Adam and Eve to repent. Like God is asking a question in order that they might repent. And their repentance is this expression of shame. It's what shame looks like. It, it brings, well, there is this vulnerability that brings about a fear and this sense of nakedness, right? And so we hide. And that is kind of our mode of operation up to this point. Because we're alone. Being naked and vulnerable in a place where all things are good and there's not a sense of isolation or separation, right, from God. There's, the, the, we can be vulnerable, um, and not have shame. Now, it's not, in fact, but Paul kind of expands upon this, and I just want to wrestle with it a little bit in Second Corinthians chapter 7 and give you some of my thoughts, and maybe some of you will respond to this. And certainly, you can even listen to Kurt Thompson talk about this some in his most recent podcast, so to be known if you really want to kind of explore this a little bit more. Um, I just kind of want to offer my own thoughts on it. But Second Corinthians chapter 7 is a beautiful chapter. In fact, it's, it's a very pastoral chapter uh, and it talks about how much Paul loves the Corinthian church and how much they love him and how they've encouraged Titus and how Titus was so uh, encouraged by them and that was encouraging to Paul. And, and certainly there, there was in, a previous, in the previous letter Paul had to correct some things and he's just happy about some of their response to that. Um, excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, but in verse 10, he, he says something that's really quite remarkable to me. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Let me read that to you again. This is second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So I, I want to explain this for a second because this word sorrow means grief. It means, it, and in the New Testament, it tends to rest in the idea of sorrow and grief or in pain or the combination of those three. And in a sense, you could think of these ideas as godly shame and worldly shame and godly shame actually leads to repentance and salvation 
And, and I want to explain how that works for a second, at least in my mind, as a follower of Jesus. When you and I find ourselves in the Adam place, meaning there are things, this is where godly shame is, there are things that you and I have done that are not good, and those things get exposed. We, we have two choices. One is to run away from that exposure and to hide, and when we do that, what we do is we strengthen shame. And it moves, in a way, from godly shame to, to ungodly shame. And it becomes a, 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 a powerful wrestler in our life. And it's able to, to wrench us down and, and control us and change the way we think about us ourselves. But godly shame, if we're willing to embrace it, meaning we're confronted with the holiness of God and our own behavior, the way we've treated others, the way... Uh, our sin has been exposed. If we're willing to stand in the uncomfortability that Adam and Eve were in, but see the difference is you and I have Jesus standing next to us. We have Jesus blood covering us. We have this capacity to stand not as ourselves before God, but as people in Christ. And as in Christ, we can actually deal with our sin because it's forgiven. And so the shame that we have is only there to lead us to repentance and salvation, right? It's just an exposure. And what we hear then, if we're really willing to stand in the uncomfortability, and here's where I think our volition comes in, is that when our sin is exposed, we have the choice to stand in the vulnerability and not hide because we can grab hold of the cross. We can grab hold of the resurrection. We can grab, we can put our arms tightly around what Christ has done for us and begin to look at what we've done wrong and we can actually turn around from it and repent. And that sin, that brokenness about us does not dictate our story. It doesn't say who we are. But if we allow that shame to move from a godly shame to a worldly shame and what all we have to do is go hide. Right? And, and the shame shifts. It's not an exposure of, of evil and a, a sorrow that we have about what we've done. It becomes a sorrow and a grief and a pain that, that wrenches. It becomes a burden it be, and it sits on top of us and we can't undo it. And so it leads into a worldly shame, um, one that will dictate who we are and dictate family systems and dictate a lot of different things. So that's. I, I think what's important here is that shame is actually a good vehicle um, when it's exposing our sin and we have a choice to stand in the uncomfortability of it and embrace the cross and move in godly directions. But I do want to talk about worldly shame and how it works because the worldly shame has two kind of, I think, branches. Uh, one branch is that we, when godly shame exposes us, we run away from it, and what happens is then the enemy takes over and uses it as a, a, a tool, of, as a burden, and as a way of controlling and dictating our narrative. And, and we join in that and participate in, in using shame to narrate who we are and our value and, and a lot of other things. But worldly shame can come in a lot of ways. Uh, worldly shame, which leads to death, um, is often what happens is when things are done to us when we're abused and that's that that abuse usually happens to us when we're vulnerable and it, it creates a shame 
because something something wrong was done to us, a violation. It could be as simply as, as a child, we were yelled at for something we didn't do and, sh- and, and told that there was something wrong with us because we did this, even though we didn't do it. Um, or when, as parents, we, we tend to attack people's character, our children's character when trying to correct them. That can build a worldly shame that leads to death because it's not it's not an exposure of sin and an invitation to repentance. It's it's saying there's something wrong with you that cannot be changed and it will lead to death. It can be when you yell at your spouse and you use contempt and anger. That person picks up a worldly shame, right? And that shame, because when, when someone intimate pours contempt on you it's abusive and it attacks the very essence of who you are worldly shame attacks the essence of who you are godly shame invites you into repentance and into your identity in christ it develops and nurtures a sorrow and a grief not one about who you are and your very identity but one about the things that have been you have done and so we have to be very careful because worldly shame and often drives the, the narrative in such powerful ways. Um, and then it affects our family systems. It affects the way we think about things. And it really makes it very difficult for us to be people of encouragement. And I would argue that what shame does is it triggers our, um, it triggers our, our nervous system. And so anytime then especially when it comes to worldly shame, anytime that, that something similar is happening or, or we feel an exposure, a good exposure from godly shame or not godly shame, like whenever exposure happens, we get very dysregulated. We get very um, com- discombobulated in, in the way we think and feel. And then we just feel like we need to run away or we need to fight or we just feel like a deer caught in... Um, in the headlights. And so there's <laughs> shame is such a complex uh, thing in the way that it affects our nervous system. I, I just think what's really powerful here is that Paul in one verse can summarize all that's happening to us um, in our culture and in our world. Um, and, and to talk about how worldly um, sorrow, worldly shame, worldly grief brings death. But godly shame or godly sorrow or godly grief brings about repentance and ultimately salvation. I hope that maybe some of that got you thinking about things. Maybe I confused you totally when it comes to thinking about shame and how it works. Um, but I, but I think we have to be thinking about this all the time uh, because shame is this thing that that's constant in our life and it will you know rear its its ugly head shame likes to narrate about itself so even you know when you are working really hard in your life and you are like yes I've, i've conquered a lot of things in my life and then something happens and it triggers this thing where you get caught right back into a loop you begin to pour shame or contempt on yourself and that's very worldly shame like why I see this happened again. Why do I do this? When you begin to have narratives that attack your character, narratives that, that pour contempt on you or others, then you know that that shame is a worldly shame, right? When, when 
you if engage in godly shame or godly sorrow and grief when it, that leads to a oh i need to turn I, I need to follow jesus i need to realign myself with the man of grace and mercy that's there's no contempt there there's no there's no there's no shame there anymore it's 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 a freedom so so my encouragement is and i think the thing that really we got to grab hold of is that when you feel exposed or vulnerable and this this happens in so many areas of our life maybe maybe you're sitting in a group and they want you to talk about your feelings and that feels like everybody's eyes are on you right there's some some shame stuff going on that's narrating who you are you should think about that or or maybe somebody's offhand comment about something you did stirs up all this guilt and all this frustration and it, it you begin to so attack yourself why do i do that or or you pour contempt on that person they don't know me they don't know who i am then, then there's some shame going on there right anytime you feel vulnerable and you are not driven like you, you, i guess not driven you gotta ask this question anytime you feel vulnerable what's being what's being exposed there and what's the invitation from god is it and is it is it a as there's this emotion that wants to drive the narrative and it's trying to push you towards the undermining of your own character and God's character and other people's character. Or is that exposure, that sorrow about who you, things you've done or chosen to do or things you've said or the way you've acted driving you towards Jesus? Like what's the invitation there in that exposure and that sorrow? Because they're very different because one leads to life and one leads to death. And it's a, uh, it's something we, we really do as a people need to process and think about. Um, and what I would recommend, because I probably didn't do the best job of it, is one, just to go listen to To Be Known, Kurt Thompson's podcast. I'll just make a plug for that, and you'll hear bits and pieces of what I've said here. I would get his book, The Soul of Shame, and I would read it. I will say it's a hard book to read. Um, and you re- it's, 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 it's dense, not in a hard, like lots of big words, but there's just a lot to process. Um, and a lot to think about, uh, and, uh, it's a book you've got to read over a few times. Um, but I really, I th- think what's really cool right now is they're going to start going through, uh, the soul of shame in his podcast. So, and they're intending this podcast to kind of line up with his book. So this would be an awesome time for you to take a look, uh, at that. And I think it'd be, I think it would be life transforming. So I'm just make the plug for the book for Kurt Thompson and, Really, I would make a plug to read Second Corinthians chapter seven. If you really want to see the heart of of a pastor and the heart of, of someone who deeply cares for a church and and is kind of showing how we can encourage one another and how we're to respond to one another's intervention in our lives and how much carefulness um, we need to take with one another, then Second Corinthians chapter seven is just beautiful that way. And I would encourage you to do that. Well, this is just a short Faith Over Breakfast because I know that Faith Over Breakfast has been uh, been a little spotty. And so I wanted to make sure that we're kind of continuing to do our podcast. Um, and I hope this was at some level a blessing to you. And thank you for listening. Uh, and Andy will be back next week and we'll be talking about fun issues, I suspect, within the church and within our country and world. So I look forward to talking to you next week. 
You've been listening to Faith Over Breakfast with Pastor Eric Siepen and Pastor Andy Littleton. Please share us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you.